churches, all those churches that went astray, sort of just like we're all tending. It, it happens, doesn't it? So we want to hang on to the truth, know what we believe. So let's stand and sing that.
Father, we are thankful. Thankful most of all that with all the things that are out there for us to grasp at and possibly believe that you have revealed yourself as truth to us. And for that, we just can't believe it. It's just amazing. We bow before you this morning, and it is our distinct privilege as your body gathered here in this room to be able to sing praises to your name. We pray that you would be pleased by the offerings of our mouths, our hearts, our attitudes. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Good morning, my name is Amy, and I have the joy of being able to welcome you to worship with us here this morning, whether you're in person or online, we are so happy that you're here with us. If this is your first time worshiping with us, stop by the Welcome Center. We have a gift just as a way of saying thank you for being here, um, so pick that up. And also, um, your connections card is in your bulletin, please fill that out, or you can also fill that out on the Find Liberty app. We'd love to connect with you, know that you're here and how we can be praying for you. Our next round of Equip You University classes begins on Sunday, October 3rd. What is Equip You? Let's find out. Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But the question is, how do we get there? Join us for Equip You classes here at Liberty. Through these classes, we offer a multi-generational learning experience. It is our training ground where, together, we learn to take our faith and make it practical so that we are equipped to go on mission into the world. Are you ready? Sign up today at findliberty.net forward slash equip you. That gives you a great snapshot of what those classes look like. We'll be offering three new classes at 9 a.m. and one at 10.30 a.m. And you can check out the insert in your bulletin to learn more. All married and engaged couples are invited to make memories at the marriage night on Friday, September 24th at 6.30 p.m. to hear from marriage experts and to enjoy the comedian Dustin Nickerson. This is a simulcast-hosted event at the Valpo campus. Cost is $25 per person, and you can purchase tickets online at findliberty.net forward slash events or on our app. Tonight is an important decision. Liberty members are invited to vote on whether to call Pastor Tim Spanberg to be Liberty's next lead pastor. Come back to the Chesterton campus at 6 p.m. Child care will be provided. Thanks, and have a great Sunday. Uh, you who come to the second service, I didn't ask permission to do this, so here goes. Um, you who go to the, this service rather than the first service uh, miss out on the deaf ministry that happens here. Um, also in your bulletin is a brochure that tells you that next Sunday something very special is going to happen. They're going to have an open house, and I'm glad that I talked to Donna about this, because back in 250, which room is not on your brochure... If you'll come a little early next, next Sunday, they're going to have an open house, and they're going to have you like put in earplugs and experience a little bit of, of what it's like to live in a deaf world. 
So I just think that'll be so cool and so good for us to uh, identify with that community of people. So, um, so come a little early, like I said, and hopefully you'll see something in the, uh, in the church website during this week and a little reminder of that. But I just think that, uh, you know, it's so fun to love people of all, all kinds, and we love having our, our deaf people here during the, the first service. Here comes Jamie. She's, uh, she's going to give you a little bit of insight into her life. Hi, my name is Jamie Bosky, and I grew up in this church, which was a huge blessing to me. And I mean, I literally, I remember running around in this building when it was still under construction. And um, there was a season in my life where I fell away from the Lord. I went to LA, I was trying to be an actress. I just took the talents that God gave me and I ran away from him. Um, I didn't think I'd pick, I didn't think I'd get choked up about this two services in a row, but the Lord honored uh, my two praying parents over there, Jim and Dee, and they never gave up on me and neither did God. And how much do we know that no matter how far we run, we're never out of his reach. He can bring us right back. And even as we studied the wayward church this morning, um, I was a wayward daughter. And the first time I ever sang to the Lord was right here on this platform. And when God brought me back to himself, not only did he clean me up and turn me around, he gave me a mission. He made me fall in love with the Jewish people during Bible school. I absolutely fell in love with Israel and the people of God's covenant, the people of his heart. And he said, I had people come after you and pray for you when you were away from me. And he said, but I have a son whose name is Jacob. I renamed him Israel. Would you go to Israel and get my people and bring them back to me? So this morning, I want to minister to you a Hebrew song. I live and I minister um, in Jerusalem full-time with my husband, David. And so we're just visiting the States right now. But I'm going to sing to you in Hebrew. But you probably don't know that you actually know two Hebrew words. Hallelujah and amen. <laughs> so if you get brave on the chorus, it's just hallelujah and amen. You know those two words. But I'm going to um, just give a gift to the Lord this morning, standing all these years later back on this same platform, right where he always wanted me to be, singing in his house. Hallelujah, Amen, Hallelujah. 
us, God so loved the world in every single language. And uh, he, he didn't mean for anyone to perish. I heard a woman this week on a blog that I was listening to, and uh, she said this, and I loved it. I wrote it down, and I'm going to read it for you. Christianity is not exclusive. It's just specific. There is a gate, and everyone is invited. You belong on the inside. I just thought that's, I liked it. Um, it's so true, and God's amazing grace has drawn us to that place so we can thank him as the choir sings this morning. I can I see? 
from the word. Let's stand and ask the Lord to talk to us.
Thank you so much, Jamie, for your wonderful ministry today. We really appreciate it. Can we thank Jamie? And uh, Carol, thanks for making those arrangements. And great to have the choir back. And good to be with us. Uh, I have all of you together with us today. It's want to welcome those of you online as well as those of you that are here. But uh, it's great to be in the house of God, is it not? Uh, are you thankful for the grace of God? Man, I am. I am so thankful for God's grace, his mercy. Uh, he endures forever and ever, and uh, we just are so thankful for his blessing in our lives, and we're so thrilled to have each of you here today. Uh, don't forget the uh, congregational meeting tonight, very important meeting. Trust that you've been praying. We've been praying over the last nine, ten months that God would bring us the right person at the right time who would lead us and who would be able to uh, shepherd and care and teach and equip our congregation to be more like Jesus. And uh, I trust that you have been praying, and uh, tonight actually brings kind of a culmination to all the months of prayer as we have been seeking God's face. And so we pray that uh, your hearts will uh, be in tune with the Holy Spirit and will walk in obedience to how he leads us. Uh, that has been our prayer from the very first day that God would prepare our hearts uh, for a new pastor and that God would prepare his heart for us. So. Uh, plan to join with us uh, this evening at 6 o'clock. Now, I invite you to take your Bibles, please, and we want to continue our study out of the uh, book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, which is a study of the seven churches uh, that we find in, in the book. And today we want to look at the church at Thyatira. So if you'll open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to pick it up at verse 18. And then we will continue through verse uh, 23. Will you please stand in honor of the word of God? <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I want you to notice in verse 18 that the Master consultant, the Lord of the lampstands, identifies himself in this passage as the Son of God. He is God. This is just not some casual evaluation of the church. This is the Son of God speaking to a church that from an external standpoint seems to be having it all together, but for whatever reason, it's been blind to what's been going on on the inside. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the privilege to study your word, to grow in your grace, 
I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on you and to fix our hearts and our minds upon you, our King. We live in a world where there is much deception, uh, where there is much that is not of you, and I pray that you would give us hearts that are deeply in love with you and also a spirit of discernment so that we can uh, be alert to the tactics and strategies of the enemy. We love you, Lord. We commit these moments now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus Christ, as we have said throughout our series, is the ultimate church consultant. And as he evaluates this particular church, he is very descriptive in what he has to say about the church. It's very interesting to me that today business consultants, when they are consulting with their clients, uh, usually encourage them to come up with some kind of a one-line phrase that describes their product so that when you hear the phrase, you immediately associate it with a company or with a particular uh, business, okay? So I'm going to see how alert you are. Now I'm going to give you a phrase, and you see if you can identify the company or the business. I'll start out with something pretty simple. Welcome to Delicious. Culver's. Welcome to Delicious. Uh, what about, I'm loving it. Huh? McDonald's. You know, you're getting better. What about, just do it. Night, there you go, okay. What about, uh, let's go places. Toyota, let's go places. Uh, what about, um, hmm, let's try another one here. What about, uh, we have the meats? <laughs> you got that one. <laughs> we have the meats, That's, you're good, okay. Uh, what about, like a good neighbor? <laughs> okay, <laughs> you understand. Okay, so, so, so those particular bylines, they they kind of describe the, the business or the company. Now, it's very interesting as we take a look at churches today in America, uh, many churches also have developed bylines for their ministry. For example, when I was down in Houston, Texas a number of years ago, I went to the Second Baptist Church. Second Baptist Church, how would it like to be known as the Second Baptist? Not the first, but Second Baptist. They are known as, quote, the Fellowship of Excitement. The Fellowship of Excitement. That place is a buzz. It is unbelievable how excited those people are. Fellowship of Excitement. Willow Creek, you matter to God. It's all built on that particular phrase. When I was pastoring churches in Illinois and Indiana, we had a phrase that described our church. We were a caring community devoted to Christ. That's what characterized our church. Or in another instance, we called ourselves a community of committed Christ followers. So as the Lord begins to evaluate the church here at Thyatira, he could sum it up with this byline. Thyatira, a little church with a big problem. 
Or another way, it could be the tragedy of tolerance. The tragedy of tolerance. Now, throughout the history of Christianity, Satan has always employed at least one of two strategies to harass and attack the church of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, he seeks to discourage the body of Christ through persecution, through outward acts of evil committed against the body of Christ. We see that happening, remember, at the church at Smyrna. Many of them had, were in prison. They, they faced death. Many of them lost their lives. We see this happening in Afghanistan today. Many believers uh, are being beaten and flogged and persecuted. Uh, it, it's happening all over our world. In fact, there's more persecution in the world today than any other time in, in human history. So oftentimes he uses persecution to destroy and to hurt the body that Jesus purchased with his blood. But he also uses a second strategy, and that is to uh, sow discord and to sow deceit within the body of Christ. Uh, where there are false doctrines and false teachings happening within the church itself that begin to erode away the character uh, and the true uh, gospel of which that church has embraced. Uh, oftentimes, when Satan is at work to destroy from within, he does it very subtly. And many times we don't even realize it's happening until we see the, the outward results. Now, Satan does this any number of ways today. Uh, sometimes he motivates God's people to substitute entertainment for the exposition of Scripture. Uh, you go to many churches today, some of the mega churches. It's kind of a 20-minute sermonette and uh, happy in Jesus. It's just kind of an, an entertainment type of a thing. In other instances, the enemy will seek to cause us to reinterpret our mission so that we are more socially acceptable rather than spiritually grounded and many churches today are nothing more than social clubs. It's kind of, you know, you've got to be part of this group. It's, a, it's, it's socially driven, not spiritually driven. The enemy also does it by substituting cold orthodoxy and dead religion for a vital personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are many churches today that open their doors and they're the church of cold orthodoxy. They go through a lot of motions, but there's no spiritual vitality within them. A number of years ago, I was pastoring a church in Indiana, and we decided to reach out to a whole new target audience. And so we took the zip codes right around our church, and we made 20,000 phone calls and asked people, what are you looking for in a church? And what we discovered is that those 20,000 people had had church up to their ears. They had had cold orthodoxy up to their ears. They rejected it. They didn't want it. What they really wanted was something that was authentic and real, a vital personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Out of that survey, we started a contemporary service, which now today that church has two contemporary services. And so God has done some amazing things when we really focus on life transformation but many churches again they're just content to kind of you know this is how we've always done it and a world out there that desperately needs the gospel 
uh, is bypassed. Now, the master consultant who purchased the church with his own blood desires that his body be pure and holy. This fourth church that we want to look at today is a church that is small, and it's in a little town that is small, Thyatira. Uh, It was founded by Alexander the Great, and the city was located in a rich agricultural area. It was known for its trade guilds. It had bakers and weavers and bronze workers and tanners and dyers and potters. But most of all, Thyatira was known as the manufacturing center of purple dye. And you will recall that Lydia, a seller of purple, who was the first convert on Paul's second missionary journey in Philippi, she came from this little town in Thyatira. Nothing is said in Scripture about the evangelistic activity or how that church began, but you cannot help but believe that maybe Lydia had some small part in the establishment of the church at Thyatira. And though the church at Thyatira is small in comparison to the other churches, it had a big problem, and it had allowed corruption and false teaching to run unchecked in its ranks. It had the same problem that Pergamum had. Remember, they tolerated immorality and idolatry, but in Thyatira, it was a much deeper problem, and it was much more of a pervasive problem than what we looked at when we studied the church at Pergamum. Thyatira becomes tainted with outright and willful sin. They allow the teaching of immorality and idolatry to be carried on inside the doors of the church without any attempt to to curtail it. And they allow worldliness to usurp the place of holiness. They forget that when we receive Jesus Christ by faith, Our lives are transformed, and the Bible says that we are called to live lives of holiness and purity. For example, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 and verse 7, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Titus chapter 1 and verse 24, Christ gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. But because holiness is not part of the DNA of this church, the Lord of the lampstands has some pretty strong words to say to them as he seeks to arrest them from uh, their spiritual slumber. Now, before we get into the meat of this passage, I want us to look at some of the unique features of this particular letter. First of all, Thyatira is the only church of the seven in which the spirit of Jezebel is present. And we're going to talk about the spirit of Jezebel in just a few minutes. Number two, the letter to Thyatira is the longest of the seven And it's addressed to probably one of the smallest churches of the seven. Number three, this letter is the first to reference the second coming of Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back. And in this letter, it's made very clear that the Lord of the lampstands, who is the Son of God, by the way, who is God himself, this master consultant, he's coming again. Number four, Thyatira tolerates 
teaching of evil to such an extent that some of its members are actually open proponents. They, they champion false teaching. They don't just allow it to be in their church. They actually begin to promote it themselves. And then number five, the letter to Thyatira is the first letter to mention a believing remnant. I've said this before. God always has his faithful few. He always has those who are so committed to him that no matter what comes against them from without or from within, they remain true. They will hold fast to the gospel of Christ. And then number six, for the first time, as I've already said, the master consultant introduces himself in verse 18 as the son of God. This is deity speaking. This 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 is not some human consultant. Now, this is the one who's the first and the last, who was dead, who's alive forevermore. This is the Son of God. We need to take very seriously what he is saying to this particular church. Now, what does he say? First of all, he enumerates the virtues of the church. Uh, You would think that a church that tolerates evil and is being uh, destroyed from within, there wouldn't be a lot of good things happening. But to the contrary, as he begins his evaluation of the church, he points out many positive characteristics of the church at Thyatira. First of all, the church is a working church. Verse 19, I know your works. You remember, this was also the earmark of the Ephesian church. They were a hardworking church. Thyatira is a hardworking church. The parking lot is full. There's much activity going on. But let me just say by way of parentheses that Activity is not a sign of spirituality. You can have all kinds of activities. You can have a great crowd, and it can be dead spiritually. But this was a working church. They wanted to make a difference in that community, and so the Lord of the Lampstands commends them. Number two, they are a loving church. I know your love. Remember, he called the Ephesian church out because they had what? They had left their first love. But now, the church of Thyatira, their love for Jesus is continuing to burn hot. They are in love with Jesus. Their love for Christ is not cooled. And the love that they have for Jesus brings them together in a faithful, serving way. And that leads us to the third emphasis. They are a faithful church. I know your faith. It means they are committed to the faith of the gospel. They have not turned away from the faith. They don't have to be encouraged in their faith. They are being faithful in all that has been committed to their trust. Uh, Thyatira is known for an unceasing faith in the living God. And then number four, Thyatira is a serving church. I know your service. It involved ministries of serving. For the body of Christ, they were using their spiritual gifts and the body was growing and developing, and, and people were using their spiritual giftedness to advance the kingdom of God. Here's a church that is just not doing a lot of activity, but they're doing uh, spiritual work uh, because they're exercising their spiritual gifts. And then number five, they're a persevering church. They notice that he comm- commends them for their patient endurance. Uh, The faith that they have in Christ, it enables them to be strong in the faith, endure hardship and misunderstanding. And they have what may be called staying power. No matter 
what comes against their faith. They, they, here at Thyatira, they are ready to stand fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then number six, they are a progressing church. Verse 19, you're doing now. Notice, he says, your latter works exceed the first. This is an amazing statement. In other words, here's a church that's, that's working and serving and loving and, and persevering and enduring. And he says that what you're doing right now is even greater than what happened at first. You are a progressing church. They had not been regressing. They had been progressing. Now, can that be said of us today? Are we progressing in our faith? Do we love Jesus more today than we did yesterday? What about our service? Do we talk about our service in the past tense? Or do we have present stories to tell about how we're serving Jesus? So many times I listen to conversations and I hear people, oh, this is what we used to do for Jesus. Oh, I used to be involved. I, I, I did all this and this and this and this. Are we progressing? Are we, are we actually using all the, the spiritual gifts and the, 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 the potential and the passion that God has given us uh, to transform our communities? Is our devotion to Him growing or progressing? Or are we just content with the spiritual status quo? Now, some of you say, hey, you know, pastor, this, this church is Thyatira. I'd like to be a part of this church. Man, wouldn't you like to be part of this church? Oh, my. They're working, and they're growing, and they're progressing, and they're serving, and there's excitement there at the church. Man, this is church I want to be a part of. Well, from the outside, it appears like everything is okay kind of like a beautiful house I mean you can have this beautiful house it's all uh, decorated to the T and beautiful landscape and beautiful home and and you think oh my what a I'd love to live in that place but if there are termites that are eating away and those termites get the best of that house it's not going to stand very long you can't see them but those termites are still doing their work even though from an external standpoint that house looks like a fabulous place to be well that's a little bit of what's going on here in Thyatira externally they look great but inwardly they have a deep need and even though they appear to be very effective and dynamic they don't cut it because sin is eating at the core of that church the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And he says to the church of Thyatira, you may think you're in pretty good shape, but let me tell you, you are about to reap what you've been sowing because it's not all fun and games at Thyatira. There's a major problem. And this leads us to the second point. He exposes the vice in the church. Look at verse 20. He says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. This sickness that is eating away at the church at Thyatira centers in one person one individual a wicked woman who embodies the spirit of Jezebel this wicked queen 
in the Old Testament. This person continues to mislead many of the members into doctrinal and moral error. And that word tolerate <clears throat> literally means that Jezebel is permitted to do whatever she would like. She does whatever she chooses to do, and no one holds her to accountability. She, she, she does whatever she wants to do. And the church is even aware of this, but they don't do anything about it. That's the indictment that we have here from the Lord of the Lampstands. It's very interesting, is it not, that that name Jezebel literally means chaste and pure, but her actions were the exact opposite. Actions were the exact opposite. Now, what's going on here is that this person, whose name probably isn't Jezebel, but who embodies the spirit of Jezebel, she is allowed to do whatever she pleases within this local church. Now, Queen Jezebel in the Old Testament, you'll remember, uh, is the wicked queen of King Ahab who introduced Baal worship to Israel. And you can read all about Queen Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 21 and 2 Kings chapter 9. We don't have time to get into those Old Testament passages. But suffice it to say, she is one of the most wicked Old Testament Bible characters in Scripture. She tries to stamp out all the true worship of Jehovah God and promotes a sensuous way of living and idolatry that led to the moral decline of the northern kingdom of Israel. There are some indications from Scripture that Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, may also have been involved in some kind of witchcraft. She's responsible for the death of Naboth, a righteous man, and she confiscates his vineyards for her own evil purposes. She promotes the slaughter of all the true prophets of God. And the prophet Elijah tells us that because of her evil ways, she would come to a sudden and violent end. Indeed, the dogs would lick up her blood and eat her flesh. And that prophecy comes to pass. According to 1 Kings 21.19 and 2 Kings 9.33-37. Queen Jezebel. She's the embodiment of evil. And now there is this woman in Thyatira just as determined to bring demise to this body that from the outside appears to be very healthy and well. No doubt she belongs to this cult of the Nicolaitans. You'll remember we've talked a lot about them. Nicolaitans taught that you can sin with your body and it's going to be okay with your soul. You just do whatever you want to do. There's no judgment. And they turned the freedom that we have into Christ into to uh, licentious and uh, unbelievable uh, sexual uh, immorality and conduct, along with idolatry. Now, the thing that's very interesting to me is, is that there's an indication in this scripture that this individual in the church, she thought she had a deeper revelation from God than anyone else. Notice it says she calls herself a prophetess. In other words, I've gotten some new information from God that no one else has, and we can blend Christianity and immorality and idolatry together. Uh, just remember, 
God has no secrets. Everything he wants us to know, by the way, is in this book. Always beware of a person who claims to have some new truth that they and only they have received and no one else has. This is Jezebel. This is the spirit of Jezebel. She claims to have a new word from God that no one else has and she begins to promote this without any accountability within this local body of believers there at Thyatira. Now the problem is magnified here because Jezebel, when she's confronted, notice the text, she refuses to repent. Notice in verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Here's a woman who is confronted with the truth. This book, she has nothing to do with it. And the other thing that's very interesting is that when just one person thinks they know better than God and they know more than God, they're never content to go it alone. They always want to bring others with them. And you'll notice what the Lord of the Lampstand says, those who commit adultery and idolatry with her, they are going to be judged just as Jezebel. This woman is going to be judged. Friends, just one person outside the will of God can impact many and turn many away from the pure gospel. This is a spirit that is directly in opposition to everything that we know and love about Jesus. Now, who's going to judge this Jezebel and her followers? Notice verse 18. The Son of God, notice, who has eyes like blazing fire, which speaks to the fact that Christ burns with anger and purifying judgment toward those who refuse to repent. Notice also his feet are like burnished bronze. They are characterized by strength and brilliance, which calls attention to Christ as judge. Verse 23, the Lord of the lampstand says, Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your works. That's a strong statement. He's going to judge this, this spirit of immorality, this, this evil spirit that Jezebel is perpetuating and bringing others along with her. And he says, all of you are going to experience judgment because you've taken your eyes off Jesus and you've allowed this other spirit to captivate you. Worldliness and immorality and idolatry. These are the cheap substitutes for holiness and righteous living that God calls us to as his people. In 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17, we have these words, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. What can we learn from this? Three lessons. Number one, we must never forget our primary mandate. And that is that God has called us to be his holy bride. He calls us to holiness. He does not call us to blend in to the evil in our culture. He wants us to be authentic and real. He doesn't want us to stick out like a sore thumb, but he does want us to be true to him no matter the cost. I love what D.L. Moody has said. He said, it's a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about it. Lighthouses do not ring bells and fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine I love that (laughs) that's what God wants us to do we are lights and he wants us to shine brightly not to blend into the darkness but to let the light of Christ himself permeate the environments in which we find ourselves so never forget our primary mandate is to lead a holy life number two we need to guard our minds False doctrine, false teaching, false behavior all begins in the mind. And the Bible makes it very clear that we are to bring all our thoughts, bring them captive to the Lordship of Christ. And what happens today is that we are too good at compartmentalizing our lives. This is why people today... You know, Christians can live double lives. Uh, we saw that with the televangelist scandals back in the 80s. We see it now with a lot of the, the pastors, well-known pastors that have fallen. I mean, you can't imagine. I mean, I know some of these personally. I've had prayer with them. And, and it's astounding to me how you can, can walk with God and then all of a sudden... You act out of character. It's, it's because somehow you haven't allowed your mind to be captive to the Lordship of Christ. You, you see, this is where the enemy begins. He begins by, by putting a question mark in our mind about what God says when God's put a period. See, that was a problem with Eve way back. <laughs> has God really said this? <laughs> Come on, Eve, has he really said it? Th- this is how he works. He attacks our minds. Our minds need to be guarded by the Holy Spirit. Number three, only one person living outside the will of God can impact many, just one. Think of the Old Testament story of what happened with with Achan, remember? They were told not to take of the spoils of, of Jericho, and this guy did, and they go to Ai and... Because of one man's sin, the whole army is defeated. 
The whole army, one man, just one person. You see, no one lives unto himself and no one dies unto himself. We are, we have to take responsibility. Just one person living outside the will of God can create havoc in the body. I could give you example after example of this. I mean, there's a mainline denomination now that has totally split in two because one person, one of their bishops, had to have a relationship with another man. Instead of disciplining that person, that one individual is responsible for the split of that whole denomination. Just one person living outside the will of God. It's, it's almost endemic today. So we need to make sure that we keep our hearts and our minds fixed upon Jesus. Whenever God convicts us of something, it may be something small, confess it. As, as soon as the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in our lives that, that we know is not right, confess it. You know, the Bible says what? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. This isn't just for new believers. This is for believers. I, 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 I've had to pray that prayer. <laughs> I've messed up. All of us do. Just one person thinking they know better than God, it has a rippling effect that can destroy many, many, many lives. Number three, Christ explains the victory for the conqueror. Notice, I love this in verse 24, he says, and the rest of you, this remnant, who live in Thessalonica, and who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. See behind this spirit of Jezebel is who? Satan. See, Satan is the one who's always stirring, always seeking to create issues uh, in the body of Christ. And Satan is behind this woman Jezebel who is perpetuating false doctrine and false practice and false behavior. But on the positive side, God has his faithful few and he says to the faithful few, verse 25, hold on to what you have, notice, until I come. Here's the reference to the second coming. Hang on tenaciously to your faith. Do not discard it. Do not allow the spirit of Jezebel to get a hold of you. I want you to hang on to your faith until Jesus comes again. And that's the message for us today. We need to hang on tenaciously to our faith until one of these days Jesus breaks through and we're with him forever. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm longing for that day. <laughs> I remember as a little boy, I thought Jesus was going to come back before I got my driver's license. And then I thought he was going to come back before I got married. Oh, my, my, my. He's coming back. Do you know why he's delayed his coming? so that more people can come to faith in Jesus Christ. But he says, I want you to hang on tenaciously to your faith. Do not allow it to be distracted by false doctrine, false teaching. 
This is the great incentive for holy living is the second coming of Christ. Every time you see a reference in Scripture to the second coming of Christ, there's always an accompanying command to holy living. That's what God's called us. He calls us to be holy. Now, what are the consequences of holding on and remaining true to the Lord Jesus? Number one, those who overcome the evil influences of the world and who hold on tenaciously to Christ, notice Verse 26, they will be given authority over the nations. Think of it. We may be belittled. The culture may cancel us right now. They may think we're a bunch of fools to follow Jesus. But in the end, those who hang on tenaciously to the truth, they will have authority over all the nations. It says right there in the book. Man, that ought to cause you to rejoice. <laughs> you, you, it may be a, a tough lifestyle right now, but if you are true and faithful to the king, one day you're going to rule over the nations. The authority that Christ has, you will have that authority. You will rule over the nations. The second is that they will receive the bright and the morning star. That is, those who do not yield to the permissiveness of the culture around them, who do not give up, into the allurements of Satan, they will be given a bright and morning star. They will not only share in Christ's authority, they will share in his glory. We don't sing it very often anymore, but I am always reminded of that old song, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. One of these days, yeah, it's hard. It's tough to live for God in this world in which we live, just like it was back there in Thyatira. The forces of evil from without and from in keep nipping at our heels all along. But the promise is those who hang on, I love this, who hang on to their faith and who seek to share Jesus and to be a lighthouse that just radiates the love of God, those individuals, they're part of that remnant that one of these days is going to be appropriately rewarded. Friends, God calls us to purity and he calls us to be people of praise. In closing, let's read verse 29 together. Notice, he who has an ear, let's say it together, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father in heaven, you, you don't speak in phrases that we can't understand. You, you speak loud and you speak clear. And Lord, it's obvious that what you want from us more than anything else is purity in our minds and our hearts. That we do not succumb to the evil that is around us. And that one must be discerning. We must keep our minds surrendered to the Holy Spirit every single day. And forgive us, Lord, for those times when we have failed you. 
for those times we have not held on tenaciously. We've allowed the, the enemy, the world, to, to, to distract us, to, to, to sideline us because we've gotten focused on things that really don't matter and we've forgotten that our, our first and foremost devotion must be to you and to you alone. And so, Lord, as we leave this place of worship, may we be fully committed to you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to stand strong, that our spiritual antennas will be up, and that we will allow your truth and your word to be the guiding factors in every detail of life. We'll praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. so thankful that you have given us truth truth to live by and truth to die by may we be people of purity may we not allow our environment to dictate our behavior but may we cling to you the son of the living God who purchased us with his precious blood and calls us to be people of holiness and righteousness. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet, sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you. Thank you.